I've got a message to preach to you today. It's called Years to Your Life. Years, years, years to your life. And I, uh, I, I guarantee uh, if you uh, apply uh, today's message, and it's not an exaggeration, it's scripture, you will add years to your life. And I guarantee you, if you do not apply today's scripture to your life, you will subtract years from your life. That's a big, bold statement, ain't it? Pastor, why are you playing with my life? I didn't ask you to, to ask me, well, hey, I'm just going to preach the Bible. And then when I'm done, you can figure out if it'll add years to your life or not. Amen. Are y'all awake? You had your coffee? Come on now, you whooped your kids, you got them dressed, you got them over to union kids, you had your little fight in the car, that's fine. That bill that you didn't pay on Friday, it's still not paid, but you're in the house of God, in the presence of God, in the atmosphere of miracles of God, and you are ready to lean into the word of God because it is going to transform your life. Somebody say amen. Look at your neighbor, say don't make him work today. Come on, tell him, come on Columbia. Tell them, don't make him work today. Tell them, look at somebody say, talk back to the preacher. Come on, look at somebody else say, I don't know if you're new around here, but we a little ignorant, we a little loud, we a little jacked up, we a little crazy, we a little weird. If you went to one of them churches that just sit down reverently and listen to the message and you feel like it's disrespectful to interrupt the preacher, you've got the wrong place. This is the place where we stand up with that stank face and just, mmm. Come on now. I'm going to talk. You want to talk back? Let's do it. Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says this. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. Somebody say, I have authority. Oh, that was, a, that was a morning whisper. Come on, somebody say, like, you've been up for a few hours. Somebody say, I have authority. That's a little better. On, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt me. Oh, that's good Bible. But man, if I could just believe it. Not just read it. But believe that there's nothing that the enemy can throw my way that I don't have power over. Somebody shout amen. amen. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to the babes, even though, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All these things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one whom the Son will reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, you are blessed. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Father God, we declare that you are great. You do miracles so great. God, we bless you in this moment. We worship you. We open up our mouths and we declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth. And even though you sit up high, you come down low to be in our midst. Father God, you're in this place right now. You're here to, to speak, to heal, to transform, to encourage, to revive, to give vision. God, have your way. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, somebody shout amen and amen and amen. Uh, we, we, we've been in, in a four-week series uh, uh, that, that we've been kind of jumping in and out of. It's like you're watching a Netflix show, but you don't have time to binge watch it. So you catch one episode here, catch one episode there, catch one episode there. Well, today is episode three, episode three. 
And then say it's called the lost kingdom, the lost kingdom. And the whole idea or the mindset around this series is a lot of what we have accepted as normal church and normal religion uh, in this 21st century. Uh, some of it's Bible uh, and some of it is culture. And it's so important that we know what is Bible and what is culture because what is Bible will stand the test of time. And what is culture will not stand through a trial or a storm or a hardship. We talked about how that originally after Jesus ascended into heaven, there was one church. Somebody say one church. By the way, there is still one church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Now, there's many names and there's many denominations, but there's only one name by which man must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. And anybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ for the redemption of their souls, for the forgiveness of their sin, is of the body of Christ. Somebody say amen. Man, that's a different story for a different day. It's amazing how us church folks, when we're talking about other churches and other church folks, we find the things that we differ in theology. And we obsess over our differences instead of obsessing over our similarities. How about we obsess over the similarity that we are washed in the blood of Jesus, that we are children of the Most High God. You may speak in tongues, I may not. You may lay hands, I may not. But guess what? We are both children of the Most High God, washed in his blood, redeemed and marked by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. As we walk through church history, there was the first great schism between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. And then after that, in the 1500s, there was the second great schism when Martin Luther, the German monk, took his 95 thesis, the 95 issues that he had with the church where he felt like the church had left the word of God and he nailed them to the door of the church. And that was the great, the second great schism which brought on the Protestant church, the Great Reformation, which is where we come from anything that is American church that is not the Roman Catholic church comes out of that Reformation movement. And there were major things that he was highlighting that, hey, here, here's issues or here, 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 here's problems that, that, that has turned us away from scripture. For example, that my salvation is all about heaven and has nothing to do with here on earth. That all I need to do is sit around and wait to die. And, and one day I'm going to make it to the sweet by and by. Well, no, no, no. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it already is in heaven. He, he, he saw the monks of that time whipping themselves, thinking that they would find favor with God if they mutilated their body. And he said, I don't know a lot of Bible, but I know that's not Bible. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. I think he meant that it is finished. But in normal human form, when we see something that's off, when we, we see something that's abused, so often we try to correct it. And in our correction, oftentimes we over-correct. So they saw that the church had become political, so they said, no, it's all about eternity. They saw that the church started to mutilate their bodies, so they said that it's all about grace. Today... Today is going to be a fun one because today we're talking about drunk monks. <laughs> and that's funny already, isn't it? So today we're talking about the abuse of, well, it's not going to be the whole message, but I'm setting up the, the, the overcorrection. So back in the 5th century, the 6th century, and the 7th century, running water wasn't available and it wasn't healthy to drink. There was so much contamination in the water because of the sewage system and all that other good stuff, and it wasn't safe to drink water. So instead of drinking water, they would drink ale or beer. Nobody say, amen. You see, that's, that's why I drink beer, because water is not safe. It's, it's, it's better for me. And at that time, the monasteries in Europe were the central hub of a city. A monastery wasn't just a place where monks worshiped God. It wasn't just a place where scripture was studied, but monasteries were the local hotel in that region. Whenever a visitor would come to town, the monastery was the only place where they could stay. 
Not only was it the place of, of, of people staying in that were traveling through, but it was the bedrock or the source of education. Anytime there was going to be a school in a village, it would be housed in the monastery, and that's where they would go to learn. The monastery was where art was distributed and created. It was actually the agricultural hub of the city. The monasteries in the 5th, 6th, and 7th century, they were the central focal point of every village and every community. So it kind of only makes sense if this is the central point of the village and, and water is not safe to drink, so we have to drink ale because that's what's safe. Why don't we brew ale at the monastery? You see, this is just common sense. I'm, I'm not a drunk monk. I'm just trying to take care of the people uh, in the city. So what they started to do is they started to build monasteries with a brewery as a part of the monastery. I did my research for this message. I had a whole lot of fun. Actually, the first people in history to flavor beer, to start using hops, were monks. Before there was St. Budweiser, there was St. Benedict. And he said, hey, I can figure this out. I bet you didn't know that beer was a part of your Christian heritage. They would produce up to 100 gallons of ale a day. That's a lot of beer. It's hard to have that much beer and not start partying. And in human nature, what started out just being, hey, we're trying to save society, went in the direction of abuse. And what started as, hey, we're just a brewery, turned into a Holy Ghost Coachella. And the revelry and the partying that would take, take place at a monastery, to say it was ungodly would be an, a, 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 not even an exaggeration. They would actually have these things called parish ales, where they would have a party, and it was similar to Coachella, where they would invite the entire village and they would sell tickets. And watch this. This is how they funded the building of their buildings and renovations. They would throw beer parties, charge tickets to the parishioners so they could put a new roof on the monastery. Maybe that's why we ain't built this building yet. Maybe, maybe we just need to throw a party. Y'all are saying too much amens to this. So obviously, things went south really, really quickly. Obviously, people lost their integrity really, really quickly and made some really bad decisions because when you're inebriated, it's impossible to make good decisions. That's why God says, do not be drunk with wine. I got to throw that in there just in case anybody's confused. <laughs> what did you learn in church today? Well, the heritage of my church is partying and Hanukkah. <laughs> so watch this. As the Reformation movement came and they looked at the church's abuse of alcohol and the revelry and the partying and they saw that there was no demarcation between the church and the world, they said, that is not God. Somebody say, amen. amen. It wasn't God. However, our human nature, when we see somebody else that we don't want to be associated with. So often we redirect ourselves so that anybody who's watching us can see I'm not like them. If the way that I conduct my life is for the approval of man, I am guaranteed to be off scripture in some area. The correction of our manner, our lifestyles, our character should never be their ignorance. So I'm not going to be like that. It should always be, this is what the word of God is, and this is how Jesus conducted himself. So thus, this is how I'm going to conduct myself. So in the overcorrection of the revelry, they began to preach that godliness is piety. The more reserved you are, the more spiritual you are. The more quiet and, and stoic. See, the Bible says, a man who does not speak is assumed to be wise. You ever met them weird people that, that they, they just deep for no reason? 
you just ask them the most normal question and they just got to be all poetic about it. Hey, how's it going? The sun rises and the sun sets. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Huh? So in came this culture in the church that the more godly I am, the more reserved I am. The more godly I am, the more, the more quiet I am, the more pious I am, the, the more serious I am. This faith thing, it's not a joke. He died for my sins. So thus I must live for him. Enter Luke chapter 10. The disciples are sent out by Jesus to, 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 to heal the sick and raise the dead and do signs, wonders, and miracles. And, and you, you, you got to understand, it was as if I said, okay, church is over now. Everybody go out, find a sick person, pray for their healing. Okay, got it. All right, come on now. You're like, that's weird. I know God is a healer. I'm not quite sure if he can heal through me. I'm being sent out, but I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. So these disciples, they go out by twos and they, they preach the gospel and they pray for the sick and, and, and they cast out demons. And watch this. When they decreed that demon to go out, the demon actually left. When they laid hands on the sick, that person actually got healed. When, when, when they preached the gospel, people actually turned to Christ. And when they saw the results of what their faith could produce, y'all, they lost their mind. They began to celebrate. They began to, they came running back to Jesus. And they said, you would not believe what just happened. As if he didn't know what was going to happen when he sent them. And he said, demons obeyed us. And Jesus looked back at the Bible with just an inch of ignorance because if you don't, you're reading it wrong. They said, demons responded and Jesus said, so? You're impressed because somebody who was sick was healed? Do you understand I was there when the chief demon himself, Satan, fell like lightning from heaven? By the way, there's this misconception in faith that Jesus and Satan are adversaries. They are not adversaries. They are not at war. The enemy is at war with us, but he is not at war with God because he is not on the level of God. The second he thought that he could be on the level with God, in an instant he dropped out of heaven to earth and a third of all the angels. who There was never a war in heaven. There was a thought in Satan's head and then lightning dropped. And Jesus said, I was there when that happened. Listen, if that happened to the chief, his minions are only going to get the same result. And then the Bible says that Jesus began to celebrate in the spirit. Some, some theologians believe that that celebration wasn't just, oh, God, you're good. God, we bless you. We're so, no, the Bible, he began to dance. He, he, he began to move. He, he, he began to do what was uncommon for a rabbi at that time. He began to shout and lift his hands and say, hey, you want to party? You want to celebrate? I'll give you something to celebrate about. Don't just celebrate that you have power over the enemy, even though you do. He said, celebrate that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hear me, church. Drunken revelry is sin. Can I get an amen? That is not of God. But neither is this somber, reserved pretense of holiness that makes people think that we are not like those who are wild in the streets. No, no, no. We still wild. We just wild without the liquor because we got the Holy Spirit inside of us. There's a joy that doesn't come from fermentation. It comes from the presence and the power of God. And, and, and here's the whole message. If you lose your joy, you'll lose your life. If you lose your celebration, you'll lose the strength that you need to become all that God's called you to become. The Bible says in this in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet and send portions for those whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to the Lord. Watch this and do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
This happened after Nehemiah and Ezra stood up and began to read the scriptures and Israel realized that we were so far away from what God had for us. And the Bible said shame and condemnation and guilt began to come on the nation of Israel. And Nehemiah jumped up really quickly. He said, no, 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 no. Shame, guilt, and condemnation is not a path to become more like Christ. You don't guilt your way to holiness. You don't guilt your way to God. You don't shame your way to godliness. He said, no, no, go eat, go drink, go sell. Why? Because it's the joy of the Lord that gives you the strength that you need to live the life of the Lord. You show me a Christian that has lost their joy, and I'll show you a Christian that's lost their strength. In the Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says this, a cheerful heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit makes one sick. The state of the joy in your life is directly connected to your physical health. Science will tell you that if someone's battling a sickness in their body, and they're discouraged, they're depressed, they, they, they don't have anything to look forward to, they, they, they don't have a family that they want to get back to, they are less likely to beat that sickness. Then somebody says, no, 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 yes, this is a difficult season, this is a bad season, but there's something that I'm excited to live for on the other side of this, there's something that I'm going for, this. that's believer or unbeliever. Because the state of our joy doesn't just affect our faith or our spirit, it affects our physical body. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to get our joy back. Somebody say amen. Amen. We're we're going to shake off culture that says, hey, I need to be all stiff and reserved and prim and proper and and make sure that people view me as someone who is mature. And no, you're depressed. That's what you are. You you, You need the joy of your Lord. Let me give you three thoughts. Three thoughts. First thing is this. What I celebrate determines my joy. What I celebrate determines my joy. Now, I got to give you context of why the disciples were so amped that they were able to cast out those demons. It wasn't just that when Jesus sent them out, they they didn't think that they had what it took. If you read Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 was probably the biggest L that the disciples had taken in all of their walk with Jesus. Jesus went to the 12 and he said, hey, I'm going to go up on this mountain to pray. You guys stay down here. He he took Peter, James, and John with him. He went up on the mountain. And if you remember this story, the voice of God Almighty said, this is my son in whom I love. Hear him. And then next thing you know, Elijah and Moses appears. And Jesus was transfigured right in front of them. It is such an amazing picture. Moses represents the first five books of the Bible. Elijah represents the prophets. It's the law and the prophets. It was the Old Testament. And what God the Father in that moment was saying is all that was written in the Old Testament isn't canceled in Jesus. It is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, they're having this like, you know, God moment on the top of the mountain. And on the bottom of the mountain, these disciples are taking an L. This man comes with his son who who was demon possessed. And and, and the physical manifestation of that was he constantly had seizures that, that would throw him into water and a fire and try to take the boy's life. And they took this young boy to the apostles and they said, can you heal my son? And y'all, they prayed for him. They declared over him. They spoke in tongues over him. They took him to Freedom Conference. He didn't get free. They did everything they possibly could do, and they couldn't find freedom for the boy. And then when Jesus came back down, he said, why couldn't the disciples take care of this? It's one thing if you don't get it done. It's it's a bigger thing if the person you honor and respect just puts you on front street. Really, Bartholomew, you couldn't handle this? You had to wait for me to come down? I mean, goodness, do you not have the power of God? He said, he called them faithless and perverse. It was the most embarrassing moment they had had. And to make matters worse, Jesus healed the boy in seconds. It's one thing of Jesus. You know, sometimes Jesus, he prayed once and then he prayed twice. And then on the third time, it's like, this would be a good time for Jesus. Hit him with a three-hitter quitter. No, no, no. One... And the disciples were just like, 
So you got to understand, when Jesus sent them out two by two the next day, oh, their confidence was shot. They thought Jesus was setting them up for the same embarrassment that they experienced in Luke chapter 9. By the way, you obsess over your failures more than Jesus does. You're, you're, you're thinking about how bad you messed up last week and, and how you got this wrong and how you got that wrong. And while you're obsessing over your failure, Jesus is already setting up the next opportunity for you to see that was a momentary setback. But there's more that I have for you. So they come back and there's, oh my God, it, it, it worked. And, and Jesus said, here's the problem. While what happened is great, what happened cannot be the source of your joy. Because if your personal victories are the source of your joy, when not every day will be a victory. Some days will be Luke 10, but some days are going to be Luke 9. Some days you're going to be full of faith and an overcomer. And some days you're going to be faithless and perverse. And if your joy is based on the circumstances around you, on the mile markers that you reach, on that new job, on that new relationship, on that new child, God says your joy is going to be up and then it's going to be down. It's going to be up and then it's going to be down. And watch this. It's not just joy. It's your strength. So some days you're going to be strong enough to live this life of faith. And other days you're going to feel like the world is on top of you. And the reason is your joy is based in the wrong thing. Jesus said, don't base your joy in circumstances. Don't base your joy in, in, in wins and victories and promotions. And, and base your joy in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Base your joy in the fact that come hell or high water, I know who my Redeemer is. I know the fact that I have been grafted in to the body. I am a child of the Most High God. Watch this. A Christian who has lost their joy is a Christian who has lost gratitude for their salvation. David said this in Psalm 51.10, creating me a clean heart. Here's what David was saying. God, get my eyes off of my wins and my losses. Oh God, and renew a, a steady spirit in me. Can I just preach for a second? Y'all, we got to get back to being steady. We got to get back to being anchored Christians. Come inflation or no inflation. Come war or no war, come sickness, come setback, some, some random person talking about me. It doesn't move me because my life and my joy is not built on what's going on around me. David said, I've been off for it. God, get me back steadfast. Do not cast your presence away from me and do not take your Holy Spirit. Watch this. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me in your generous spirit. David said, I know where I got off track. I got off track because I lost sight of the fact that everything that I am is based on that I am held in your hand. Jesus said, hey, I need you to celebrate. I need you to be full of joy. But if you're going to have joy that can sustain a storm, it cannot be based on your circumstance. It must be based on your positioning in eternity. Not only does it need to be based in salvation, just because we know that if my salvation is secure, that I am secure. But when we are based in Christ, we know everything else is added unto us. Second Samuel chapter uh, 6, verse 21. I'm actually going to skip that one. Psalm 103 verse 1 says this, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, watch this, and forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? He, he, he forgives all my iniquities. Oh, he heals all of my diseases. He redeems my life from any attack of the enemy. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Hey, here's what happens when I lose sight of my salvation. I lose sight of the benefits that come with my salvation. When I realize, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm a child of God, which means healing is my bread. I know I want a new house and I know I need this and I knew, but I'm a child of God. 
And one of the benefits of being a child of God is that he fills my mouth with good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So because I have my salvation, it means I lack nothing. Second thing, write this down. Celebration is a decision. It's not a feeling. That, that's one of the reasons why your joy, your celebration needs to be based in your salvation and not based in circumstances around you. Because if it's based in circumstances around you, when the circumstances are great, you'll feel like celebrating. But when the circumstances are not great, you won't feel like celebrating. I can't, I can't wait until I'm an old pastor. You, 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 you can get away with some stuff when you're old. When, when you're young, you... you, you yeah, they just figure you, oh, you, you don't even know what you're saying. I, I was listening to this one pastor. He was in his 70s, and, and, and he said somebody came up to him after church, and, and, and their tears were streaming down their face. He said, Pastor, I'm so glad I came to church today. This message was for me. I, I wasn't planning on coming to church today, but, but I decided to come, and I came, and this was for This is how old pastors were. He looked at this place and said, do you expect me to be impressed? That Sunday morning is a decision for you and out of preconceived assumption. One day I'm going to do that. <laughs> you decided to come to church? <laughs> Give me about 30 years. You ain't going to want to talk to me. <laughs> if we live our lives based on our feelings, Instead of our convictions. Here, here's the problem. So many believers, their life is a roller coaster where I'm up and I'm down and I'm up and I'm down. And then you wonder why your strength is up and down and up and down because we live from a feelings based life instead of a convictions based life. In Judges chapter one, Israel's hero had just died. This was Joshua, the one that had led them in the promised land after they were stuck for 37 and a half years on the edge of the promise. And Joshua was the one that took them in. They marched around Jericho and saw the walls came down. They, they took over Ai. They had cleared so much of them. And then their hero died. And here is, is Israel discouraged, overwhelmed. Why? Because there were still more giants to kill. There was still more land to take. And they're looking like, what are we going to do now? Because the one person that had faith is the one that is gone. Here's what God said to them. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who's going to lead us now? Who shall be the first for us to go against the Canaanites to fight against them? And here's what the Lord said. Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hands. Who is Judah? Judah was the tribe that the worshipers came from. Judah was a tribe that the praisers came from. Judah was a tribe that these people, it was their obligation from God to lead a nation in worship and praise and, and, and honor and, and, and celebration unto God. Here's what God said. If you're going to go into a battle, send the people who don't praise based on feelings. If you're going to go into a tough season, I don't need the people that only bless God when their bank account is full and their body is healthy. I need the people that have a lineage of, though he slay me, yet will I bless him. When I'm feeling good, I'm going to bless the Lord my soul. When I'm not feeling that good, I'm going to bless the Lord on my soul. When I'm encouraged, I'm going to pray for him. And when I'm discouraged, he said, I need the people that don't worship based on how they feel, but they worship based on who I am. Here is why. Because my feelings follow my worship. My worship does not follow my feelings. Psalm 42 11 says this, by the way, there's this misconception that people who talk to themselves are crazy. It's not true. People who lose arguments with themselves, those are the crazy people. But great people talk to themselves. Here's David talking to himself. He was running for his life because the day that he was anointed king is the day that the enemy marked him. 
David said, ever since God set me apart, my life has looked like everything except being set apart. I've ran for my life. I've ran for my family. I've been an outcast. Nothing about my reality. How many people know David had a good reason to be discouraged? David wakes up one morning and he starts talking to himself because Sometimes there's not going to be anybody there to encourage you. Sometimes it, 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 you can click on YouTube and watch the message and it's just not going to do what it needs to do because sometimes God will put you in a position where you have to learn to encourage yourself. And David said, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. And why are there, is there turmoil? inside?" He said, get yourself together. Why are you moping around? Why are you acting like your dog died, David? Pick your head up. Put some joy. Watch this. He said, put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him and my salvation and my God. When David was discouraged, he encouraged himself through praise. It was celebration that picked him up. It was joy that picked him up. Here's what you have to understand. It is impossible early in the morning in your closet before your kids get up for you to start moving your feet in the presence of God, for you to start lifting your hands and saying, God, I bless you. God, I worship you. God, it is impossible to praise God and be depressed at the same time. If you do it long enough, one thing will overwhelm the other thing. And if I've gotten it to the, can I just say it plain? Where my flesh dictates my actions, my joy, my strength, and my emotions will be dictated on the circumstances of my life. But if I learn that my emotions must submit to the presence of God in my life, hear me, every time you praise, it's a war with your flesh. Yo, I'm naturally crazy. I don't mind jumping in church and lifting. And can I tell you, every time something in my mind says, Stephen, get down on your knees. No, you can't do that. People are watching. I know, but I don't care if people watch. God, God is good. Yeah, but they... They're going to think something's going on in your life. You don't want them to think that. Well, something is going on in my life. <laughs> I'm not talking about five years ago. I'm talking about five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I get down on my knees. It's not God. I, Stephen, your underwear showing. <laughs> <laughs> because your flesh will always war against your spirit. And if you don't learn that my flesh must submit to the spirit of God inside, it doesn't matter if I feel foolish. It doesn't matter if I look desperate with these tears streaming down my face. It doesn't matter if I wasn't raised in a church that can shout and I don't know how to shout. So I get nervous every time they play shouting music because I'm all, all I know is it doesn't matter if I look like a fool. I will bless him. I will praise him. I will open up my mouth and declare that he is Lord, that he is the King of Kings, that he is the Lord of Lords, that he is maker of heaven and earth. And yes, it may be cancer, but because cancer has a name, it must bow to the name of Jesus because he has the name that is above every name and at his name every knee shall bow, every tongue confess and declare that he is Lord. So though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm glad you're on your feet, but I ain't done preaching, so sit down. Psalm 47, one says this, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph for the Lord most high. He is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. Clapping is not cultural. Shouting unto God is not cultural. Dancing in the presence of the Lord is not cultural. It's a proper response to an awesome God, to a mighty God, to a worthy God. It's amazing to me. And man, we've got to see what part of our faith is culture and Bible. That we to a football game. I went to a Redskins game. 
I'm a Ravens fan. Redskins are trash. They haven't won since Carter was president. And the way you people shout for losers. I mean, they get a first down. You high-fiving strangers. You don't even care about COVID. Yo! Going nuts over a foot. And guess what? You should. Because God put joy and exuberance. There's nothing. You know, you get in a church and they trash you for screaming at a football game. You should scream at a football game. It's what you do. But somebody's trained us that it's proper to scream there. But it's not proper to shout here. There's nothing wrong with screaming there, but there didn't die for me. There can't heal me. There can't open doors. There can't restore marriages. There can't bring joy to my life. There's nothing wrong with shouting there, but just don't lose your shout when you walk through those doors. Whatever you were celebrating out there, make it 10 times. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I promise you, we're going to have space at the end to shout, scream, go nuts. I got to give you this last one. It takes faith to celebrate. Bring it down a little bit. It takes faith to celebrate. And that faith produces. Now, here's been our misconception about celebration. We've been trained that you celebrate after an experience. Just think about it. When the healing comes, then I celebrate. Make sense? When I get the job I've been praying for, then I celebrate. Even after I'm saved, then I celebrate. So we have been programmed that I have experience first, celebration second. That after something great happens, then I celebrate. But here's the thing. It doesn't take faith to celebrate after the experience and anything that is not faith does not move God. So I've got to learn how to pick up my feet. I've got to learn to wave my hands. I've got to learn to declare how awesome God is, not because of what he has done, but what he is going to do. Because out of faith, God, I just know that you're that good and you're that awesome and you're that mighty and you have never failed a day in your life. So yeah, it's not going really well right now. And yeah, I'm kind of depressed right now. And yeah, I wish the circumstances was different, but I know who my God is. He's not like man. He cannot lie. If he said it, he is going to do it. And by the way, the Bible says that my God inhabits the praises of his people. So when I'm not praising, he's not there. But when I begin to lift my hands, when I begin to open up my mouth, when I begin to move my feet, watch. God said, I can't help but come into that circumstance. I can't help but walk into the... I'm ending in 30 seconds. If you're on your feet, you can stay on your feet. Here's what I want to do. I want to take the cliche out of the church shout. Because some of us have been raised in church that when the pastor builds it up at the end of the message, and when I think about Jesus and what he done for me, when I think about Jesus and how he set me free, I can buck, 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 buck. And we've been trained that that's just what you do in church. And the problem is we don't have theology behind it. And because we don't have theology behind it, we can't put faith in it. And anything that you can't put faith in, it's just religion and action. And it will bring no supernatural results. The miracle is not in the shout. And there's nothing wrong with your shout. It's what's your faith behind the shout. 
And if your faith is that I know that my God inhabits the praises of his people and all I've got to do is start praising and he'll show up. And not only does he show up, but there's a great exchange that takes place when he shows up. He says he's going to take my ashes and he's going to give me beauty for it. He's going to take my sorrow and he's going to put a garment of praise on me. He's going to take this spirit of heaviness off of me and put a spirit of joy on me. I don't need a preacher. I don't need a band. And I don't need a Sunday. I just need a praise. I just need to be able to lift my hands. I just need to be able to open my mouth. I just need to be able to declare that there is none like you and God will show up in this place. So Paul and Silas were beaten. They were thrown in prison waiting for an execution. The Bible says and at midnight because Paul and Silas knew their word and they knew that my joy is not based on the circumstance around me but my joy is based on that I know who my redeemer is I don't know what they sang in that prison I can't sing either I think it was something like I know breakthrough is coming by faith, I've seen him. My God made me. Y'all too hype right now because y'all ain't in prison. Come on in. I know. He's got lashes on his back. There's guards outside of the door. They've already executed other Christians, and Paul and Silas know we're probably going to see the same fate and the same end as James did, and they didn't care because the circumstances around them did not dictate the praise on the inside of them. And the Bible says at about midnight, all the prisoners around them began to hear their praise and hear their, and it got louder. I know breakthrough is coming by faith. I see a miracle, my God, make me a promise and it won't stop. Come on, one more time, I know. to shake and the prison doors open and there was an earthquake in the natural that responded to the praise that they have thrown up in the spiritual. I am believing that Union Church is going to be a church that understands the power of your praise. You're going to understand the power of your celebration and you're not going to allow a little bit of physical discomfort. The fact that you may think that I look foolish to keep me from praising my... Hey, can you take 60 seconds? Can you open up your mouth? Can you declare he's an awesome God? He's a worthy God. He's a holy God. why we have catalysts 
because there's no second and third service after Catalyst, so I don't got to kick y'all out the building. We can. There are. Oh, Tim, I'm going to get in trouble. There's certain walls that you can't pray down. Because if you could, God would have told them to pray over the walls of Jericho. There are certain walls that you can't lay hands on and they come down. Otherwise, he would have told Israel, lay hands on the walls and they'll come down. There are certain walls in your life. There's certain breakthroughs in your life that only your praise will tear down. Only declaring, I know who my God is. And though it looks impossible, though it looks insurmountable, though the doctor said it won't happen, though circumstances say it won't happen, I know my awesome God, my mighty God, my worthy God, and he is more than Able, Father God, we bless you. We worship you. God, we declare that you're an awesome God. That you're a mighty God. And God, that you are here with us and for us. Right where you are, if you could pray this prayer, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time and this message personal to you. For many of you, God is saying, it's time for you to get your praise back. It's time for you to get your joy back. It's time for you to get your celebration. Stop waiting for the circumstance to change. Start making celebration and joy your decision. For some of you, you can't find joy in salvation because you don't have salvation. You may have religion, but you don't have salvation. Maybe you just grew up being dragged to church and you kept coming. Maybe this is your first time in this atmosphere, but if you'd be honest, you would say, I'm not pursuing God with my whole heart. I'm, I'm just here. Well, you may just be here, but God is just here also. And he says, I got so much more for you than just actions and trying to be good. I desire to be in your life, to cleanse you, to lead you, to, to make you my son, to make you my daughter. If you're in here and you'd be honest enough to say, Pastor, I, I, I'm in church, but I'm not a Christian. I believe in God, but I've never given him my whole life. Can you pray this? Make this decision right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm done. I'm done pretending. I'm done acting. Right now, I'm all in. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. Put your joy in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person that just made?